You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Warning! This podcast contains spoilers for Season 4, Episode 9 of Succession on HBO and Season 2, Episode 8 of Yellow Jackets on the Beleaguered Showtime Network. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Media Podcast, where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, Market Moves, it's R.I.P. to that man in Succession Season 4, Episode 9. <laughs> what happens when a business titan like Logan Roy dies? We will find out. Airlock, it's Yellow Jackets, Season 2, Episode 8. And if you were hoping it was going to be more hopeful than the last two episodes, you're wrong. It's a total bummer in the best way, of course. And in Nerd Out, I'm very excited for this one. It's Maya talking about Pacific Rim. One of my favorite movies, underrated gem. Love it. Love it. Up next, Market Moves. When I was a young boy, my father locked me into a kennel and said, now you're a dog. He said, Rome, you're a dog now. Do dog things. Scratch with your hind legs. Eat kibble from a bowl. He said, hey, are you a sicko? Because I sexted Jerry, who was a million years old. Now Mankin is feral. And Ken knows I fucked it. I fucked it. I guess I really fucked it. It's time for Market Moves. <laughs> yeah! Market it's moves. time for Market Moves, market your moves. number one source for passive income, active income, aggressive income, and all kinds of income that flows directly into your numerous unnumbered bank accounts stashed anonymously all over the globe. Don't pay taxes. talk to you now. Why? Of course, that doesn't even need to be said. Don't pay them. Over here at Market Moves, we live, we live by two rules. Don't pay taxes <laughs> and buy drones. That's, That's it. That's it. All you need to know. We're here to, t- we're here to talk about episode nine, Church and State of the Succession Television Program, season four. Directed by Mark Mylod, written by Jesse Armstrong. And we open on the wake of Election Day, New York City and the country in general are in an uproar because of the events of Election Night, protests of an increasingly hysterical nature are everywhere in the city, focused primarily on ATNHQ. Tom Wamsgans is under <laughs> particular scrutiny because he is the guy who made the call. 
And there's a TikTok story in New York, in the New York Times, the, the liberal New York Times, about who made the call and how it happened and who did what. Meanwhile, preparations are, of course, underway for the great man himself, Logan Roy's funeral. Roman Roy is practicing uh, his speech for the big energy spot. You will recall in the previous episode he had locked down that big energy spot. Well, now he's kind of running through his lines. And guess what? He's unworried. He's unbothered. He's chilling. He's grieved. He's chilling all the stuff in the streets. He doesn't fucking care. He's looking great. He's putting on face cream. He's wearing his suits. He looks good. He's ready for it. Ken calls. And says, hey, Rome, uh, you know your buddy Jared Menken, the future president of the United States? Could you get him to turn down the heat on the rhetoric a little? Maybe stop firing up the ops because it is the day of our dad's funeral and, uh, you know, other stuff. Just get him to chill out. Rome is like, whatever. Then Ken gets a call from Rava, his ex, and she basically says, hey, Ken, the city's aflame. It's scary out there in these streets. Thanks in no small part to you and your family. And so I've decided to take our beautiful children, Sophie and Iverson. <laughs> Every time, Iverson. <laughs> I've decided to take our children, Sophie and Iverson, out of the city. Ken loses it, drives at high speed across the city Breaks to get many himself laws. in front of Rava's car. All Types of laws, but, you know, what are what are laws to a great man such as Ken Roy? Nothing. He gets there just as they're pulling away, and he's like, listen, you can't take my kids out of the city. I'm going to get an injunction from the governor or whoever to make sure that legally you can't flee the city with my children. And by the way, what are you going to do? Are you going to fucking run me over? I'm going to lay in front of your car. Is that what you want to do? And Rava says, whatever, I'm leaving. She gets in the car and leaves. First prompt, Rosie. What's Rava's problem? <laughs> What's her What's problem? problem? What's going on? Like, I What's mean, her problem anyway? Sure, sure. <laughs> sure, her kids are being threatened. Her young child. Yeah. She might be being pushed. Everybody's kids are threatened. By a Nazi. Yeah. You know, kids are small. That's what happens. That's what happens. They're small. They can't fight for themselves. You know, oh, suddenly she wants to go yeah. upstate. Can't go to a racist. Ken's racist dad's funeral. Oh, I, see. I see. Seems very coincidental. As Ken says, she's too online. She's dumb. Why does she I believe agree. this? Well, I agree. You know, Nazis are running wild in the streets. Who cares? She doesn't care. Also, I will point out. That's right. Rava's got the best of both worlds. She's the ex-wife of a billionaire, so the anarchists hate her, and her child is Indian, so the Nazis hate her. I mean, what else? What What could she want? What more? What's wrong with her? I I think it's time for Sophie and Iverson, who I'm, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I test measuring their age. I'm going to put them at like 12 and 13, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. I think it's time for them to be the bigger person. <laughs> I think it's time for them to show a little adult responsibility, a little, you know, just to, to be the bigger person in this and say, yeah, my granddad fostered some of the worst impulses currently infecting the national body. And my dad 
helped elect a raving racist whose followers have attacked me in the streets. Yep. But for the sake of the country, I'm going to show unity right now. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this funeral. And I know kids love funerals. They love them. They love them. And also, there's like 500 people there. You know, they need those extra bodies in the room. Like, otherwise, it's going to look suspicious. Okay. Be prompt. How likely is it that Ken gets custody? Yeah. Zero, <laughs> zero, zero fucking percent. I was like, zero. I mean, I, 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 first of all, the, I, I, yeah, I have a strong suspicion that the kids are going to say we don't want to, we we don't want a change in the custody mm-hmm. situation, and I think the fact that Ken sees his kids like once every six to eight months, maybe. Yeah. Uh, leads me to believe that Rava, who is, you know, there on the ground on the day-to-day and the minute-to-minute raising of the children, will continue in that regard, despite the fact that, like a coward, she is fleeing the greatest city on Earth just because of a few bad apples. A few bad apples. Nothing to worry about. That's it. Nothing to worry about. The fine people of the NYPD will keep them safe. Shiv then <laughs> Shiv then pre- Shiv then prevails on uh, Lucas Matson uh, to release a statement on those pesky Indian numbers. Got to release a statement about those Indian numbers. Listen, there's never going to be a better time. The country is falling apart. Protesters are in the streets. Everybody is consumed with. How the fuck did this guy, Jared mm-hmm. Menken, get elected? Is he even elected? Is it What's, legal? What the hell? What's going on? Is it legal? Protests, counter-protests, fires, riots. Just release the Indian numbers. Nobody's going to fucking care. She was right. Matson, meanwhile, is like, she was right. Matson, meanwhile, is like, hey, get me in a room with Jared Menken. Mm-hmm. I am, after all, a very tall white blonde man i think as a nazi he would look an area that and he will understand uh, yeah i think he'll understand i'm someone he can work with at atn tom is of course dealing with a hectic news day as these protests rack the country uh and he's also consumed with the fact that in that new york times story about how the call happened he is frankly not given enough credit for <laughs> making the call he's like Hey, if I'm <laughs> if I'm if I'm the one who made the call, look, Tom's right. He's like, if I'm the one who made yeah. the call, if I made the Nazi powerful, I want to get my Goebbels money. Where's my where's my credit? I want people to know I am the PR person yeah. for the Nazi. I'm only getting a a little. I'm getting a little one sentence in this giant two page spread. That's it. That's it. Where? What, why is Darwin no, getting all the credit? No, yeah. Fuck Darwin. He didn't even want to do it. Want to do it. Also, Tom is the wheel man. I think back right, he said. Front, on front right. Coffin, so he's got a front it's right. So serious. Like, right, that is a prime spot, folks. And so that means he's got to get out of there, got to get to the church. But of course, you know, things are really, again, very, very busy at ATN headquarters. Later, Ken learns that his stalwart assistant since season one, Jess, who has put up with all manner of things. Mm-hmm. In service to Ken Roy is is leaving him, is taking her leave. He gets really petulant about it and he's like, hey, you'll never get access 
like this again to like <laughs> a thought leader or you know like a business leader and then he's like hey so is this about Mencken why just because it is about Mencken with your kids and it is about Mencken with your ex-wife and it is about Mencken with your family and the whole and country it is about Mencken in every other sphere and the whole country just because it's about Mencken with everybody else it has to be about Mencken with Jess P.S. it's probably about Mencken and then he closes with you have no idea how things will turn out. It's very juvenile. He says, you, you're, dumb. you're fucking you're dumb. You're being dumb. <laughs> great, great job. Great job, Kendall. Definitely going to keep Jess around. And honestly, Jess has put up with so much shit. I truly cannot believe this is the straw. that I think that a key moment is when she tried to get Greg to not tell them to call it she was like you could just delay it for a few minutes yeah. and he's like well someone's got to call it and she's like and she's like yeah they're all fucked like jess is it's all about Mencken, and jess is on her way out and i think kendall is starting to realize now it is all about Mencken. that leads us to prompt number two what is the very best thing about working for a demanding boss who you don't respect i would hope in this case it would be lots of money because the Roys are extremely yes. <laughs> rich. I would also hope... I hope it is that. I would also hope that Jess had taken advantage of Kendall's ego and his need to be cool yeah. to maybe get some stock options. I feel like Jess could be coming out of this in a very profitable way. I also feel like Jess, if she wanted to go more like the Jerry route, probably has some quite legit skeletons that she could unbury. Yeah. For the Roys. So I think not respecting a rich and powerful man is always fun. So that's a boon. But I would hope for Jess, lots and lots of money would be the best thing. What do you think? Um, and of course, the access, as oh, Ken said. You know, what, the do you access. Think the, what do you think that the access to, to Ken <laughs> the access and to his bipolar mania, you know, like Kendall Roy, a bad human being. Do you, uh, what, um, what do you think Jess is pulling down in the employee of Kendall Roy? 180? I two? You think she I two? think so there is a general Three? there's a general rule that if you are an assistant, a PA, even for like a, a big person or in a bank, they they generally say you'll never learn earn more than six, 60k. But we know that's not true. I think I think you're right. I think she's probably worked her way up to about 150 with bonuses. And it's definitely not enough because that is fucking pocket change for That's these schmoes. Destroy. I mean, being a accessory to the destruction of the country for a f 150 a year. Like, I get Let's it. get that military budget but money. Want, 800 well, billion. <laughs> At the church, Roman approaches Frank about uh, coming aboard his Waystar project, whatever that may He's be. He's feeling confident. Uh, and. He's feeling very confident right now. He's got the president in his breast pocket. He's about to give the big speech, the big uh, the big energy spot at the funeral. Uh, and listen, he's ready, it certainly seems, to kind of help Ken exit stage mm -hmm. left should Roman ascend to the pinnacle job at Waystar Royco. Greg, eager to leverage his role in crowning the new prez, uh, is uh, absolutely desperate, meanwhile, for an intro to Mencken. We uh, catch up with the Lady Caroline Whoa. Collingwood, the mother, of course, of, of the siblings, Ken Roman and Shiv. Uh, she 
honestly has never been happier than presiding front pew over the funeral of her ex-husband. It's the best day of her life. Like, but- I, I will just say, I believe you're about to get to this, but I believe this is arguably the power move of the episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When Caroline, who is a horrible person, I will say that. We have to disclaimer this Terrible a lot of times. human being. As they, as they all as are. As they all are. But in this moment, because she wants to fuck with everyone, she... <laughs> reconnects all of the side pieces and the f- partners and the wives, Marsha, Kerry, and her own Kerry, Sally Ann, makes S- Sally Ann my, my Kerry. Kerry. And she said, sits them in the front row. And we actually get, I mean, she freaks everyone from Waystar out. You know, everyone's like, what the fuck is Kerry doing in the front row? This gives her some kind of leverage. Kerry bought a lawyer because she thought they wouldn't let her in, and now she's in this front that row. It's so funny. So good. And we actually get, you know, I would say in any other place on Market Moves that this would be a sign of weakness, but I actually think we get a great new power cell that is born here when Marsha puts her hand over Kerry's hand and kind of reassures her. That's right. After making a great joke about, she was like, well, at least Logan won't be fucking grinding his teeth tonight. None of us have to listen to that shit. That's right. I loved that. That was that was the power move of the episode for me. Caroline doing something maybe right, even for fucked up reasons, just once. <laughs> Shiv pulls Matson aside and she has an idea. Pitch Mencken on an American CEO, you know, like cultural, uh, uh, a, a, an executive that understands the American culture. That like that Mencken can be a man who is uh, has deep-seated rage against immigrants, even white ones. (laughs) Even Swedish people. This is a move, even Swedish people, this is a move that he could potentially get behind. And so Lucas is like, it's interesting, it's interesting. Who who should I choose? And Shiv hems and haws, or hems once and then haws once, and then eventually she's like, "Ah, me. Should be me. It should be Shivroy. And he's like, well, you have, you're an experience. You have no experience doing this, right? And she's like, yeah, but like, you know, I have, I have the political acumen, the contacts, all that stuff I, I'm great with. And then Matt's is like, okay, uh, fine. Let's assume that's the case. Aren't you with child? Aren't you pregnant? She's like, yeah, but I'm not going to. Let's let's face facts. I'm going to be a terrible mom. I am not going to be plugged in. <laughs> uh, it will take a village to raise my child because I will hire a village. I'll be on the, you know, the text with you, the, on the Zoom link with you while I'm having my vanity cesarean. Don't worry about it. Everybody's going to say that I'm a terrible mom. But here's the upside. Everyone's also going to say Shiv's inexperienced. She just had a kid. It's Lucas Madsen mm-hmm. pulling the strings. They're going to give you all the credit for everything. Dude, um, this is a power f- play. It, smart. I mean, Shiv is. That was It's smart. extremely bleak, but it does appeal to Madsen's sensibility. Very, very bleak. He's into it. He was like, ah, oh, you're a hard ass. He's like, you're going to be misogynist against yourself. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, the funeral begins with some Vivaldi and the coffin walk with the family in tow. And then, much to almost everyone's chagrin, Uncle Ewan yes! bolts I was hoping. from the pulpit. Uncle, Uncle Ewan, the uh, neo-socialist billionaire brother of Logan Roy, who 
while he often stridently criticizes his brother, is also happy to take his brother's money. He gets to the pulpit. Uh, Greg can't stop him. Shiv can't stop him. He gets up there and he seizes for himself the Brutus spot, the coveted Brutus first speech spot at the funeral. And he says, what sort of people would stop a brother speaking for the sake of a share price? Boom! And then he proceeds to tell two um, quite revealing, actually, Mm -hmm. anecdotes about Logan. The first is, as children, um, four and a half and five years old, um, taking their ocean passage from Europe to North America, I believe Canada at first is where they first uh, landed, during World War II, and how... Um, because their uh, their boat lost power and was left behind by the convoy, they had to sit in silence uh, lest their position be revealed to the U-boats. Uh, and during this time, which uh, you know unfolded over numerous days, these two children just communicated with gestures and and looks in each other's eyes. And Roman is listening to this, and he's quite quite emotional. It's clear that this is hitting him. Then the second anecdote is about how Logan uh, came home from boarding school and uh, always believed that uh, he brought home polio from boarding school, which then infected uh, their baby sister Rose, who uh, you'll remember that Rose was used as a little bit of a landmine uh, to uh, set up Rhea Jarrell. Uh, at Logan's birthday party a couple of seasons back. Okay. Um, this apparently, by the way, this the thought that he had given his baby sister polio obviously tortured him and his uncle and aunt that uh, took care of him uh, never really tried to talk him Mm-mm. out of the thought that he, in fact, caused his sister to die. He then closes with uh, a denunciation of Logan's life and works. I think the uh, important comment here is he has wrought the most terrible things. It's true. Ewan says. It's it's quite true. Your thoughts on the speech? I love this speech. I think Ewan came through strong. I was hoping he would be there. I feel like the real power line of any of the speeches was who would stop a brother speaking for the sake of a share price. I think that's a really good one. I think he was, you know, tough but fair on Logan. And as we will see, he did uh, set up Kendall pretty well. Though I do think the biggest impact this speech had was on Roman because we knew that the kids knew that Logan was scared of water. And there's that like weird thing with Kendall being obsessed with water and water being this like huge thing in his life and his dad being terrified of it. And now we know why. I feel like there is a strange realization here from Roman about how his dad was a really fucked up, hurt person, just like he is. And that's kind of why he treated him that way. I don't think he was like upset with you. And I think he believed everything you and said, the bad stuff, the good stuff. And if you compare that to where he was at at the beginning, when he's practicing, like my dad was a great man. Like my dad was this great Titan of business and industry. I feel like post you speech and the kind of revelations about Logan's childhood and also the reality of Logan's impact. Roman can't get up on stage 
in front of 500 people in front of a live stream question mark that seems to be going on he doesn't it doesn't uh, yeah. like it doesn't feel like he can get up there and pretend anymore the pre-grieving has run out well, uh, you mentioned it. it's Roman's turn. And of course, Roman has been talking about how he pre-grieved and he's fine. He's doing great, all that stuff. And then as soon as he gets up there with his pink cue cards, he just folds humiliatingly mm-hmm. under the weight of everything. Connor, Ken, and Shiv have to escort him from the pulpit as Rome hysterical and whimpering like the kennel dog that he is wonders aloud if Logan is in fact in the box and whether they can get him out. He is totally normal. I I think, I think clearly by the way, calling back to that trauma of his own trauma of being trapped in Mm -hmm. that kennel as Mm -hmm. his family had put him in. Now thinking about his, his dad that way. And it's a moment I think that, um, that we could use to humanize Roman, but I won't. I think, if anything, Roman deserves this and much more. Yeah. Uh, Ken then takes the wheel and he acknowledges that uh, uh, Ewan, hey, uh, in Greg's words, has a strong take about Logan, uh, but but it was right. He was a brute, very tough guy. Then Ken transitions into a pretty strident defense of him, like as Logan is a man of action, he's a doer, he was full of life. I hope that, uh, you know, that vim and vigor of life is in me uh, because otherwise uh, this world will be, you know, like peaceful and uh, in harmony with all the kind of like plurality of different races and and creeds and everybody, uh, you know, being able to coexist in a at times fractious civilization, but one that is essentially nonviolent and able to adhere to the tenets of a democracy. And that would be super boring. Yeah, terrible. Uh, we terrible. want blood in the streets. Capitalism, hypercapitalism. Yeah, we want fire. Yeah, like that's we what need we money. Are it's gushing for. out of orifices. My the blood baby. of life. Uh, Shiv gets up and she starts with a small anecdote about how dad uh, yelled at the kids to be quiet, you know, when they were uh, playing around outside of his study. And then uh, she transitions to a really hard kind of like actually hard to follow and hard to parse, but also tearful goodbye where she says, uh, you know, goodbye to my world of a dad. Uh, Prompt number three. Power ranking the speeches. We got Ewan, we got Ken, we got Shiv, and we got Connor's long speech that uh, we don't hear. I was. Who are you? I was absolutely <laughs> praying with every fiber of my being that Connor would get up after Roman. There was a moment when he thought it was time. His formalist experimental speech. But is it, is it- it's like James Joyce's Ulysses. <laughs> like we're not we're They're playing play with, it with the time, form. Jason. Like don't you know? Yeah. Like gonna see how it goes. That's one of the things Willa likes most about it, and she is a playwright. You know, she's a playwright. I, I wish we had heard Connor's speech, but it's also perfectly act that he is the one who doesn't get to speak. Power rank the funeral speeches. Roman, you're at the bottom. That's gonna end up decimating you sorry <laughs> we knew it was going to happen there's a sorry there's a perfect moment that is coming up that everyone saw coming if you've ever had to deal yes. with a jared menken you're done your political yes, capital absolutely. your space in the you industry sh- you have shown you have shown how weakness. dare you have an emotion as a as a male in this don't industry? you're that. in trouble don't don't do that. shiv next i think you're right 
she it was a very revealing speech like when she kind of kept calling logan yeah. terrifying i think that spoke to how the kids yeah. really feel about him she tried to go for some of that kendall like recognition of who her father really was i think if she'd have just gotten up there and said the line goodbye to my world of a father that could have been a very high ranking power speech because that really did speak to like the immensity of Logan, but it's a bit too woolly. I think you're right. Hard to pass. It's hard for me. Coming out of this, Kendall is probably number one. Only because he wants to yeah. be. He will use this to leverage himself. He got a st- he got an ovation. People were clapping for him. He seemed to balance the truth of what Ewan said and managed. In that way, Kendall is number one because I think Ewan's speech was more powerful and I love Ewan and I, I love to see him out there just chatting mad shit on his brother. I was really hoping that was going to happen. Yeah. But the reality is Kendall was able to use that speech that broke Roman to leverage himself into a position of this is my dad. I'm giving this like eulogy forever that will be remembered and people will be like, oh, he was a really great orator. He did that off the dome. Like he didn't even have notes, you know? Yeah. So I think Kendall does end up number one. My my headcanon number one, Connor. I believe if he got up there and he did a 25-minute <laughs> speech, everyone would be like, oh my God, make him president. Like, this is it. He changed the way we write speeches. He's got a job as a speechwriter for Jared Menken. The world would change, but we never saw it. So that's my ranking. I am going to go uh, Roman number one because I love the drama. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. love drama. You know, it wasn't I necessarily a speech per se, but it was... It's very dramatic. It was emotional. Might be the most remembered. I love to revel and might it certainly is going to be very popular on the uh, social media platforms coming up. And I think you know, anytime I get to luxuriate in the uh, the heartbreak of another human being, I have Joy. to do it. That's one of my. Uh, that's one of the things we really, really enjoy here on Market Moves. Number two, I'm going to go with Connor, ghost written by Willa, <laughs> of course, the non-formalist speech. I think. I think look for Willa to uh, be somewhere up there, pretty high up in the communications department Mm. for President Mencken. I think, listen, Mencken likes to likes to say very strident and strong things about the country. But like, wouldn't it be cool if that was done in a really artistic kind of like nonlinear way as well? Then I'm going to Ken. Like a great vanilla speech, it did what it needed to do, uh, followed by uh, Shiv, who I'm going to put last um, because, you know, where's the numbers? Where's the facts? Where is the celebration of of, uh, her dad's strength and vigor? Where were the metaphors about, like, what a a virile man he was? (laughs) Too emotional. You know, ultimately the emotion got to her. Uh, Also a Democrat, so I'm putting her last. Okay. Next. We go to the cemetery where Logan <laughs> will lie in eternity in a mausoleum built by the CEO of Pets.com. <laughs> five mil. Great deal, as Kendall says. A great, great deal. deal. It's a steal great for deal. five mil. Ken learns that Matson and Shiv are going to run the old American CEO Classic play, play with Mencken. So he tells Hugo, he tells Hugo to, to uh, we need to prepare the ground for this. I need you to float a news item, anonymously, of course, that... The family, certain members of the family are against the Gojo deal because basically because the price is too low. And he tells Hugo flat out, listen, here's what it is. I'm going to show you my dick. 
I want to kill the deal. And if you want to help me, you can. But here's the deal. You're not a collaborator. Mm-mm. I don't even, I don't ever want to know what you're thinking, what you're, th- you're a fucking yes man. You're a dog. But, quote, the scraps from the table will be millions. Millions. Happy? To which Hugo replies, Wolf Wolf. <laughs> Fisher Stevens um, delivering. I, I'm glad that, fi- and delivering. And I'm glad that finally, you know, it, it's out there that this is what the world is. This is how it is, man. You have a problem with it? This is how it is, man. You got a problem with it? What if we pay you? You have a problem with it? What if we don't pay you? Either way, you're still going to have a problem. I can decide to pay you or not pay you. <laughs> we're still going to have a problem. And it's your problem, not mine. Yep. At the reception, Ken corners Colin. You will recall, of course, Colin, the uh, bereaved Mm-mm-mm. former bodyguard of Logan Roy, who was once also Ken's pursuer because he knew uh, that uh, untidy little fact about Ken that he, uh, you know, he killed it. Just guy. accidentally. It was like, it wasn't really he his fault. You know, it was very he vague. He did kill a guy. Murdered that a guy. guy is no longer alive. Right. He's dead now. And uh, and Colin knows it. And Colin has been talking to a therapist because he's very, very stressed. He, of course, has this knowledge that Ken has, uh, you know, taken a life. And uh, his protector in Logan Roy is gone and he's probably out of a job. And Ken flexes by letting Colin know, hey, I know you've been seeing a shrink. That's very alarming mm-hmm. <laughs> that you're that uh, the son of your boss would know that you're seeing a therapist. Very That's threatening. But. Very, very, very threatening and not a subtle threat at that. But Ken then comes, there's the stick. Here's the carrot. Come work for me. Come talk to me. You want a shoulder to cry on? You want to put your feet up on a couch? Well, you can do that metaphorically by driving me around and being my mm-hmm. bodyguard. Um, Ken then approaches Mencken about, uh, you know, that Gojo deal. You're going to kill the Gojo deal, right? Because we uh, d- declared that you're the president. And Mencken, ah. very troublingly, is suddenly very, very wishy-washy about this deal to kill the Gojo deal. And he's also, by the way, clearly enjoying the fact that he, as president, um, has a relationship with the uh, the electorate, a.k.a. ATN's audience, that uh, maybe Ken doesn't quite have. Uh-huh. He says, oh, I thought you were the sound system. Now you want to choose the track. And he also, and he says, you know, uh, about the deal. I've always said I'll help. Um, uh, but before they can really get down to brass tacks, Greg comes over, <laughs> and then Connor comes over, trying to pitching a uh, what? Wait, what did he pitch? A Habsburg? It's so like, like a U.S. Uh, equivalent for the EU. Right, but it's the Habs. It was a Habsburg yeah. something or other, which is just like okay. Um, and then uh, Mencken mocks Roman for crying over his father's corpse. And that is the moment where you know yeah, that Jared feels like he is not beholden at Mm-mm. all to any promise he made to the Roy family because they showed their belly. Roman showed his throat like a little puppy mm-hmm. dog. He laid down and then, and then lifted his legs to show that little pink belly and his Tail is thumping on the ground and he's got maybe a little rawhide bone in his mouth and he's saying, President Jerry, will you will you uh, pet my belly? Yeah. 
And Jared Mankin is disgusted by this. He's saying no. As he should be. He's like, he calls him tiny tears. No. He is making all <laughs> kinds of insults. And I have to say, this is a great moment for me because you've had this mm-hmm. very interesting switch in Kendall, which I personally do think was probably yeah. Jess was the straw that broke the caramel's back. But Kendall comes out of that funeral and he thinks he's a killer. He's the killer Logan always wanted him to be. He's threatening people. He's getting bodyguards to work for him. He's telling Hugo, you're my dog, like Roman was my dad's dog. And then he thinks he can do that to Jared Menken. Thinks, one, he thought he could trust a Nazi. Stupid. Two, he goes over and he thinks he's doing something really tough. And then all of his annoying male relatives come over and just make it look like, (laughs) it just looks like Kendall was trying to do what they were doing. Like, he just looks just as ridiculous as Connor. He looks just as ridiculous as Roman. He looks just as ridiculous as Greg. He is nobody. And then we get that ultimate, you know, big fucking boss move from Shiv that's just so perfectly timed. Yeah, to pull him away. But before that, let's get to prompt number four. You saw how Mencken, who is a born bully, treats someone who is weaker and less powerful than him or has shown himself to be weaker by showing emotion, the kind of emotion that, like, say, a son might show at the loss of a parent. How dare you? That leads us to prompt number four. People who are weaker and less powerful than you, what gives? Why would they do that? What's their problem? How could they? What's their issue? You're telling me... You're, oh, you're less powerful than a Nazi president. Oh, so bad. Oh, it must be so hard for you. Your dad died and you're crying at his funeral. Give me a break. Come on. Your dad was abusive to you and now you're crying. He's gone. Get over it. He's gone. It's been what? It's been seven days since he died? Come on, get over it. Come on. Stop it. Take your millions and, and... and take them up and tear them into little Kleenex pieces and and dab your eyes with them and get back to work. Yeah, earn because me that's some what money. This country needs. What do you think this is? Yeah, what do you think this is? A, a handout factory? You think this is <laughs> a factory uh, of handouts? You think this is uh, yeah? You think this is like a soup factory? Finally, Shiv pulls making a way to talk to Lucas. Perfect and they make timing. American CEO. You know, American CEO who understands values, and it's Shiv. And then Shiv makes sure that she that Menken knows that, listen, whatever my uh, personal political views are, I don't give a fuck about them. I, because I have no morals. ATN viewers love you. I have no morals. I told a, a, a sexual abuse victim to just uh, shut up and yeah, take, take the money. money, babe. And I'm willing to do that on a massive every scale. Day. On, a, on a, a nationwide scale. Every day. I know that ATN's viewers love you, and uh, let's face it, we need them, and so uh, we're going to give them as much Mencken mm-hmm. as they can take. What do you say? And Jared Mencken seems to uh, he seems to buy this. Mm-hmm. He's fine with it. I think he likes the fact that a Democrat would bow to him. Yes. Also, a supposed liberal. I think he loves that, and I also think in that moment he respects Shiv and Matson. Don't fuck around. They don't try. Ken was doing all this amorphous, analogous, like, are you going to help me when I helped you? I buttered your bread and now you've got to give me the jelly. Madison and Shiv are like, we'll, if you do a deal (laughs) with us, we'll just support you for like years. But you have to let the deal go first. 
Shiv and Matson. Now listen to this business listeners who care about business and doing important business deals. They want from Mencken something he can give them first. That was the big mistake Roman made. They gave Mencken what right. he wanted immediately. If they'd right. have held without, out... Without any... That's if right. If they'd have held out... No leverage. If they'd have even got a, recorded a phone call where he agreed to it so they could threaten him with quid pro quo. And yet they didn't. So Shiv and Matson, if Mencken helps them push the deal through, they will have gotten that and then they can either welch or kind of navigate that deal as it comes. But Shiv's made it clear. She doesn't care. She'll support him. She'll be wearing a little ATN, you know, pro Jared Mencken t-shirt. She's going to be calling her baby Jared. As long as she gets that CEO position, she's, she's in. She's all in. Outside in the streets, protests are growing. It's getting a bit Tiananmen out there, Tom says to Shiv, a reference to uh, something that happened in history. I forget what it was. Then, quite belatedly, he apologizes to Shiv for not being there, you know, for the funeral and for when her dad died and all the stuff. And then he says, you know, by the way, uh, I was the first person who get to, who got to kneel next to your dad's dead body uh, and say goodbye, and that was a lot. And he kind of breaks down a little bit, although you don't see the tears. And next thing you know, the on-again, off-again, weirdo, toxic relationship is trending, trending on, on Especially when Lady Caroline comes over and congratulates them on Shiv That's being right. pregnant. That's right. Uh, then Shiv gets a call from Matson. It's a yes, he says. Now, this brings us to prompt number five and potentially the biggest prompt of the show's history. It's a yes from Mencken. It's a yes from the board. What is the yes? Who is the yes? I think using all my business acumen that I have gained over many years of being a rich business person, I believe it's Mencken. Because Ken is still very much trying to control the narrative of the board. And we know that Shiv has not approached Frank. Shiv has not approached Carl. Shiv has not been playing the Hugo game. The board aspect is what Ken is trying to play. I think Jared was very impressed with their little pitch. He likes the idea. He can see the way that the tide is turning, a.k.a. Kendall and Roman are the useless brothers, which many of us knew. And he is now ready to make this deal with the devil. He gets a, you know, a white woman to stand in this place. He can say it's a inclusive, open, democratic space. I mean, she worked, she worked for stunt double Bernie Sanders. She, she can, she can have it all because she's a woman. Exactly. And I think that Matt. She's gonna lean in. She's gonna lean in. She she'll call us out. It's gonna. It's weird. <laughs> she's gonna right. hold us accountable. This is her fight song. And I think Jared's people very quickly called Matson and said, "Absolutely, that's a better plan." And also, let's be real. I think that old, you know, Alexander Skarsgård Matson. I think he was right. I think Jared probably liked seeing a weird six foot five Aryan guy saying, "I'll do whatever you want." There's multiple layers to this, but I I believe it was I believe it was Mencken. I, I think that I think the pitch too about tech 
and uh, social mm-hmm, media mm-hmm. and the fact that Gojo understands that world in a way that, uh, you know, people who have been involved with cable news for the last several decades don't really understand it. That's uh, that's a growth industry. Yeah. You know, as Mattson himself has said, cable news, uh, you know, ATN, that's for, you know, 60 and 70 year old mm-hmm. angry uh, retirees. Yeah. Like this is not a growth business. And I think his pitch that, hey, we know social like that's a place for you to have international reach, not just not just reach within this country, but growing international and cultural reach. And I think that was a big deal. I think that really I think that turned his head. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it is Mencken who gave the yes. Ken and Rome see Shiv taking this call and glowing across the room. Uh, And Ken is like, like, I think we're in trouble with with Mencken. I think we need to fix this and Roman's like no what Mencken would not stab me in the- why why would he's he a that? trustworthy he guy betray me he's a trustworthy he, guy me and him we're are, tight the, we're tight what are you we're so tight what are you talking about and Ken is like that's I'm sorry but I think he, that's happening and then he says and you want to know why it's happening although he doesn't really make the connection that <sighs> that concrete but he basically says you know well it's you know you, you did fuck it up you know the funeral speech you did lose your shit. You fucked it. You fucked it with Jared. And uh, Roman knows it's true. It's true. He knows. And then Ken says, uh, you know, we have to get real and fight Shiv at the board. And of course, Ken has a plan and he needs Roman, much like Hugo, to be his little dog and the little dog carrier and to help him fetch papers and fetch his slippers and then lie quietly at the foot of his chair. Meanwhile, Video of Roman's lacrimose speech is already <laughs> circulating. Record speech. Uh, the internets is, as they say, you know, uh, boosted by the Gojo algorithm, I'm sure. Um, and uh, it's not great. You know, Carl and uh, Frank are watching it. Jerry's there. And, you know, of course, Jerry and Frank, because they are, you know, more or less decent human beings, are like, oh, we shouldn't be watching this. Carl is like, oh, but but it's out there. We got to watch it. We should. We have to it's watch our it. It's duty. Uh, Roman, in despair, brought to his lowest point from his highest point, you know, earlier in the day, he he was about riding as high as as any Roy could possibly be, and now he's essentially finished it. He's he's in his brother's words, absolutely fucked it. The uh, video of him weeping is circulating the the globe. Uh, dick pics, uh, you know, are soon to follow. I'm sure to be out there. And Roman, in despair, goes out to see the protests. He sees the protesters running down the street, and he starts berating them. And then he jumps over the uh, the police fence that separates them from the crowd, and he starts berating them again. And next thing you know, Roman is beaten and bloody on the pavement. Okay, final prompt. How long has it been since Roman yeah. got punched? Because I feel like he's someone who hasn't been punched enough. And I feel like this was like maybe the first time he took a punch that <sighs> wasn't from his dad. Yeah, not counting from any of his siblings. I'm going to say that, what's, what is Roman Roy? Probably like 37 or 38. Um, I am going to guess that he has not been slugged for 20 years. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, let's go down the Roy family. When's the last time that 
Ken has been punched. I think Ken has been punched in the last, like, two years at least. Because remember, he's going out, he's, like, smoking crack, he's getting into That's shenanigans, That's right. he's going to a bar, he's he's hanging out with people who probably get sick of his shit a lot quicker than the rest of them. So he he's probably... But taking more more hits than I feel like Rome has been relatively coddled that aside right. from the child abuse. I think that's right, and and of course uh, Ken did take a pretty pretty hard hit when his forehead hit the steering wheel of the car that uh, the the young man that he killed yes. uh, died in. Um, Conroy. <laughs> When's the last time Conroy I, has been punched? Now he he may have he I think he he might have Secret Service protection now, so it certainly <laughs> has not been in the last. I, I feel like Connor calendar year maybe. I feel like Connor probably can talk his way out of many situations, not because he's particularly good at it, but because you would just get bored. Yeah. You'd be like, please stop talking. Like, I'm not yeah. even going to get into this. He's also very tall, so I I think Connor he I think he might be running in a long. Not punched. Also, we do get an interesting insight into the secret closeness that Connor had to Logan this episode that hints to me he also probably never even got a slap from Logan because he was the only one who knew about the... Uh. He was the only one who knew the Pets.com CEO mausoleum existed. That's right. He's like the only real child because he wasn't seen as a business threat. Logan almost just let him in on the ridiculous shit that he was up to. uh, Yeah, that... I think that was clearly the case where Logan was like, here's something that you can handle. Uh, will you uh, close this deal for my mother? <laughs> also, final grim power play by Logan, because the mausoleum did have space for the family. He was like, you bitches hey, are going to be trapped wanna, with me. You know, you're going to enjoy it. Uh, and then finally, Shivroy. Uh, I hate to think about it, but I reckon she's almost as recent as Kendall. She, her relationship with Tom is very bad. I, I, I won't, I yeah. won't allege that Tom is a wife beater, but I believe Shiv has gotten herself into some very bad relationships, and she also chats a lot of shit. And as we say in England, chat shit get banged. So I'm sure she's had problems. <laughs> I, I believe uh, it's, it's a, a problem. It- it's a little bit of a trick question because a couple of episodes ago, of course, Tom did flick her earlobes saying that they were thick like barnacle mm. meat. One of the best and insults. we're going to count it. One of the best insults. We're going to count it. I agree. Up next, a special segment of Market Moves. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, Eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. 
For a quick and punchy take on the state of our world and how much longer it can hang on, look no further than Crooked Media's What A Day newsletter, a.k.a. WAD NL. In just a few minutes, you'll be up to speed on the day's top news, as well as stories that may have gone under your radar. Subscribe to the What A Day newsletter at crooked.com slash daily. I gotta have my WAD. Welcome to a bonus segment of Market Moves, your favorite source for all the information about money, stocks, bonds, trading, etc. So we've uh, here at Market Moves, we have been the target of some spurious criticism Untrue. that we are biased, we are right leaning, we are uh, only slightly to the left of piracy, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, to help balance things out, if that's even something we need to do, we would love to uh, now uh, have a big Market Moves welcome for the hosts of the offline podcast, liberal commentators John Favreau and Max Fisher. Uh, welcome to the welcome to the Market Moves uh, program, gentlemen. Hey, pals. Uh, big fan, big fan of Market Moves. Well, it, it, we, we're you're joining us on a on a uh, on the perfect day. Uh, <laughs> Ron DeSantis has recently announced that he will be joining Elon Musk, uh, and together they will be announcing uh, Ronald. It, it's, I'm close with him, so I can call him Ronald. Yeah, right. Ronald's, uh, Ronald's uh, presidency, his his chase for the presidency, his uh, presidential campaign, as it were. Uh, gentlemen, Lucas Matson and Jared Mencken are Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> I I can see that. I see. I think the question of who Jared Mencken is is actually a really interesting one. And I yeah. think people looking for like, oh, is he DeSantis? Is he Howley? Is he Tom Cotton? And like, I always felt very clear to me who he is, which is he is the exact person that I have always heard every democracy watchdog like professional say they are most worried about, which is a like Donald Trump demagogue plus a far right YouTuber. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a smart. Yeah. yeah, he's a smarter Donald. He seems smart. He's a smarter. Ruthless. I don't know that he seems all that charismatic. Like, I, yeah, I, it was that speech on election night where he was. Uh, it's a little. It, <laughs> was, it didn't. It didn't move you. It, hearing about like, the purity I of the land. Like American fascism. <laughs> American fascism is very like Donald Trump. You know, it's true. Yeah. Brand. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel yeah. like. Jared Mankin's brand there is a little. He's. A little I, much. I have listened, unfortunately, to a lot of far right YouTubers and a lot of like mm. his citing of like Thomas Aquinas and oh. Saint Augustine. That's like very like <laughs> Mike Cernovich, like Robert Spencer. And anyway, this is not us exactly bringing the pod to the left. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he definitely does feel like somebody that. Esquire would have interviewed in 2016 and called like an interesting alt-right figurehead. <laughs> right, right. Well, he's a firebrand. He's a firebrand. He's a, he's, right. he's dressed stylishly, he's guys. Yeah, he's, a, he's, so a yeah. he's a bomb thrower. He's a bomb thrower. The complex message of Jared Menken. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was that line in the Times? The cool kids philosopher. They cool said about Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a touch of Ben Shapiro in there. Uh, Max, how would how would Maggie Haperman cover Menken? <laughs> no comment. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it, I, but it's it seems like you know Mencken it, it 
Minkin, had... Minkin would be calling Maggie every seven minutes. <laughs> Would be just all, you would not be able to walk past Maggie's cubicle without saying, it should be on the phone, you'd be like, oh, it's Mankin, isn't it? And he would just be offloading some just like crazy inner gossip that she would then put into the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. There's an interesting moment in this uh, latest episode where uh, Ken tells Rava that she's too online. Too online. I guess because she cares about her kids, which I've, I've always thought of as a weakness. Um, Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, your thoughts on 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 Rava being too online, or the criticism in general of being too online? Yeah, it's funny because I think too online is the type of criticism you level towards someone when they're. It's meant to say that you're not really in touch with reality, right? That that your reality is just the Twitter conversation, right? And what's funny about Kendall using it is. He's so far removed from reality, mm-hmm. and the, I mean the whole, all of them are the, every season, right? And it's like this is this that episode was the first time we've seen sort of the real world effects of the shit they've been pulling right. happening mm-hmm. all around them. So it is very funny that he accuses his ex wife of being too online. It actually it reminded me of like late 2016 when Trump was, <laughs> you know both nearing and then had won the election where I feel like a lot of people were telling me I was too online because Mm -hmm. it would be like, hey, when this happens in other countries, like here are the things that happens and here's how it goes. And everybody's like, oh, you're being hysterical. And like, what was the line? Take him, take him literally, Literally not seriously. seriously. Yeah. 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 Selena Zito. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) it also reminded me of the period between the election and uh, and the insurrection. Uh, How how can we forget about that when everyone was like, Oh, just humor Trump. He's gonna he's gonna yeah. do this for a little bit, and then he's gonna golf. And he's gonna leave. He's gonna leave the White House. What, what what are y'all worried about? He's gonna leave. It's amazing how many moments from the last five years you will see resonant in the show. And I have to say, I really think that this show has done better than any show, better than really any piece of entertainment art. Like the job it has done at capturing what it feels like to be in America under mm-hmm. this like era when democracy feels like it's crumbling around us. It's like really incredible and like I spent years at the times trying to convey basically exactly what the show is conveyed in like nine very crisp entertaining hours <laughs> and it like really makes me kind of mad they did they did a good job they did they amazing did they're like the way that they cover like institutions and how power broker I was talking to a friend of mine who works in um, a field that is euphemistically called election integrity which mm. means all of the people who were like but yeah it's a little scary the like poll watchers and all the like democracy watchdog groups and activist groups and people in state government and I was like, what do folks in your world think of Succession's treatment of things like election theft and disinformation and all the things that are coming up in the show? And she sent me the Leo pointing meme. And she was like, <laughs> everybody is just like, they nailed it. Like, we cannot mm-hmm. believe how effectively they, they did. nailed it. And they a lot of them it. have actually consulted on the show, too. Yeah. Would you say, speaking of reality, how realistic was the Roy's election party? You know... Um- I will say on the election, they've done a very good job of making every political scenario quite realistic. Mm -hmm. That party, I don't know that uh, the Democratic nominee staff would be at the Fox News election night party. Yeah, that seemed a little off. I don't don't think I don't think Nate would really uh, would be there. I do. One thing that the party captured well, I thought, was the sense that. All of this is happening in closed rooms with yeah. all of these people, this very small number of people who are all maneuvering with like very little mind for the consequences of what happens. And I think you're right that this last episode was the first time that the consequences were starting to impose themselves on the characters who have been have been causing this. 
yeah. for the last four seasons. But it do, it does capture something that happens a lot in D.C., which is, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats who will be screaming at each other on TV or in the halls of Congress suddenly find themselves at a cocktail party together. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, hey, yeah, was just, we're friends. We're fine. We're, you must we're, really miss that. I, yeah, I desperately miss it. That's, that's, that's right. I went back for the correspondence dinner weekend and, uh, and left a day early. I yeah. miss it so much. <laughs> um, in the past two episodes, we've seen this attempt by uh, the Roy's, brilliant attempt, I, I think, to leverage, you know, the uh, 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 leverage democracy, leverage the country in order to get this Gojo deal killed. How often does horse trading, you know, not of this brilliant magnitude where you're like, I'm going to sell out the country no, in, order to get, level. in order to get control of my father's company? Like, that's great. But how often, do, how how realistic did you find that kind of horse trading? I, I would say that before the Trump presidency, I would have said, eh, I don't know that it's that obvious right like maybe it's a little more subtle but with all the story you know trump's like yeah. handing out pardons and, and rudy's gonna like split the two million dollars right. with him for the right. pardons and like jared's doing a deal with the saudis like it's yeah. pretty it seems pretty realistic it's getting yeah it's the art of the deal man yeah and especially like the conversations between that we all saw after the fox defamation suit between like Fox executives and uh, like high-ranking Republicans, like that—that that is pretty. That is pretty real. So, when you were in the Obama White House, would the MSNBC executives call you, mm. or who were they calling to <laughs> yeah. like exchange Maddo favors? Would call for... me, okay, sure. And yeah. I would just put a bag of cash outside my office <laughs> with a big her. dollar sign but, yeah, on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that and then I would, right. yeah. then I, you know, then she'd air my uh, whatever I want. I'd go on whenever I wanted. It would be great. So talking about like important, you know, realities of the day to day, where do you stand on sending blood to your co-workers? <laughs> <laughs> Can I actually tell you guys a story about getting recruited to Crooked Media? It's a few months ago <laughs> and I got there was no bags of blood, but I got this call from John, who I knew a little bit. And I picked up the phone. He said, John Favreau. And he said, you know, Max, life isn't nice. It's contingent. <laughs> People who say they love you also fuck you. So this is an explicit plan to fuck the pod. Me rule the world, and you can come, but it won't be a collaboration. You'll be my dog, but the scraps from the table will be millions, millions. And, and he, here he is. He was referring to downloads, not dollars, but I thought it sounded here like a pretty good offer. He is. <laughs> I will say that when we first started Crooked Media, we used uh, a random lawyer uh in in silicon valley um to start doing some of our our contracts with hosts for the first couple of hosts and you could tell that these were not standard entertainment contracts because i i think that we um accidentally asked anna marie cox to like um sign over her uh the rights to her dna to us <laughs> it, was like, it was like some kind of a weird standard like like bio DNA. bio startup contract yeah this is like the- she's like i don't think i should sign this and we're like you know what we actually do not want that is that what all those cloning booths are that, for in the yeah. back room yeah, okay we got was, big plans i was running it was in this, those giant tubs of goo this is, and this is our Marie Cox's. this is our version of living plus <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think that this show has anything uh you mentioned that it really seems to nail the the texture the feel of this particular political moment i wonder if you could 
uh, expound on that. What, what particularly are the things that you look at and go, God, that feels like something that either has happened or would happen? I think that uh, ever since Trump, there is a feeling, especially among people, among liberals, among people on the left, that fascists have to necessarily have like carefully laid plans and yeah. coherent ideologies and that that villains are like, you know, 2D and they're just they're always sitting there plotting about how they're going to take over the world and destroy everything. Right. And in reality, I think what succession gets right is this is just a lot of rich, powerful, mm -hmm. selfish people who are quite nihilistic right. and when you are in positions of power with that much money and you make a bunch of selfish, stupid, reckless decisions, it has it can really fuck up the entire country and yeah. democracy. And you don't have to have a plan to do it. You just have to be as nihilistic as Roman has been, certainly, mm -hmm. over the last couple of days. But in, in reality, all of them. I've been thinking a lot about how this show feels to me like it's kind of in conversation with the like the paranoid thriller movies in the 1970s. You guys know these mm. movies? Like yeah. Parallax yeah. View Parallax and All the View President's and, Men yeah. and Conversation and this like, all the thrillers that came out after Watergate and Vietnam and kind mm. of like captured this sense that the country had that, you know, democracy was a lie and there were these vast all-powerful conspiracies and we're in kind of a similar moment. But Succession's final season feels very different, like you're saying, because... Um, there's no vast conspiracy. There's no big shadowy plot. And there's also the like 1970s thrillers usually have a protagonist who is like we're seeing who is like fighting back to trying to like protect what's great about America. But the show is so nihilistic and bleak. There's not really good or bad. There's just these like bumbling idiots, basically, yeah. who were like in positions of power and crashing around on each other and like happen to be bringing around these terrifying consequences. And it's like, it it's kind of messed up because there's so much darker than those 70s political thrillers, uh, but their grasp of how things actually work is so much more like mechanistically fine-grained and connect and their yeah. sense of like institutions. And the, the showrunner has like worked on shows in the UK that focus on institutions and bureaucracies. And you like really see it's got like, he's got like a little bit of a political scientist. In him. And there was actually there was a line that Matson had where he was on the phone. He was saying that um, you're not even a real democracy or less of a democracy than Botswana because you've been a democracy for 50, 50 years. years yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is actually a like very specific argument that is really big in political science right now that the U.S. didn't formally become a democracy until about 50 years ago. And I feel like that must have been a deliberate nod. Well, I, I, so this argument, if you if you believe this argument, it goes simply because women <laughs> and then people of color had a we'll call it a difficult time or a touchy time voting for much of the country's history that somehow this wasn't a full fledged democracy. Is that is that what people are saying in the in the poly size circles? Sorry, air quotes. You're not you're not liking this, are you? I are mean, you, Jared? You're, you're just looking for something something clean in this polluted land. Some not grumpy with compromise, is that right? I, I also right. thought they th I thought they really got right. Like at the beginning of the Trump administration, there were a bunch of sort of establishment Republicans who went to go work for Trump and, and right. like slash former Democrats. You know, mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Gary, uh, the the finance guy. Uh, uh, no, what's his fucking name? Yeah, yeah, bald but, guy. Uh, 
we're going to keep them on the rails. We're going to be yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the committee, the committee, yeah, yeah. the committee Protect to save them. America. Protect. Remember the committee to save America, oh, the adults yeah, in the room. Yeah, and yeah. those people genuinely believed, right, that uh, I am here because I'm going to have influence over him, and I'm going to help stop right. Trump. Right. And you can see that in like. Shiv and yeah. Kendall, yeah. right? Remember, Kendall at one point was yell. It was another episode yelling at his ex wife. He's like, "You have no idea what I'm trying to do here on across Six seven continents." And then Shiv, who was like terrified that Mankin wins, in the very next episode is like, "I can impress the Nazi. I can watch." <laughs> yeah. And my Easy. dad died. My dad died, so I can do anything right now. <laughs> Something the yeah. show really captures that speaks to that I think is this sense that not only is nobody coming to rescue, but there's no guardrails. Yeah. There's no mm-hmm. safety. And that was something that really came through, I thought, in the election night episode where they're just like in the conference room deciding to steal the election. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know about you, but I find that really triggering. Well, and, really and, tough and to watch. Kendall doing a great impression of like most people on Wall Street be like, the markets will right, reel right, him, right, will yes. rein yeah, him yeah. in. That was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, he'll yeah. be constrained by the markets yeah. and capitalism and, and business interests. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of what we do here at Market Moves is about predicting things. You know, even the more liberal X-ray vision hosts, they predict things. You know, for you guys, what do you think the viewers should be looking out for when we come to the finale? How do they land this realistic view of America? What happens? So I have been thinking that perhaps uh, Kendall finally gets his crown, but he's basically, Mm. um, you know, uh, ruling over the ashes (laughs) Mm. and that the whole, that it's not worth uh, being the CEO of this company because, you know, Madsen and everything that the kids have done just sort of destroy it somehow. Right. So I've been thinking that's possible. Although I have to say, I am a Market Moves fan, so I've been listening to previous episodes. <laughs> and after watching the last episode, I could see a Greg. I know, I know. Greg is the US CEO. I could see yeah. it. I could yeah. see Greg as the USCO. I, I thought it was silly at first, yeah. and now I'm like, yeah. They, that tight shot of Batson in the limousine, they're clearly there's someone who is next to him and like who else could it be? Yeah. But, I mean, that was the only person I think who was missing at that point. That would be that would be something. Well, so I'm really curious what's gonna happen with the like Waystar calling Wisconsin prematurely, which they have set yeah. up for like that mm. might come back. And that of course like really parallels like Fox News doing Stop the Steal mm-hmm. after 2020. And the show is like aligning with reality in these ways that are really interesting, but I think also make it like an even bigger challenge to land this ship because like Fox News doing Stop the Steal, we know now is like really blown up in their face. They had to pay an $800 million fine. They'll probably pay more. They lost Tucker Carlson. They like really lost out. But if that happened to Waystar, yeah. it would kind of ring false for the show's mm. themes. So they're in kind of this tricky position. And I think like, I think we won't know what will happen with Mencken. That's my big prediction if you're really uh, confident uh, about it. I don't think we're going to know what's going to happen with Wisconsin. I don't think we're going to know if I he's going to be president. Right. I don't think we know what's going to happen with this social unrest, which I think is actually really fitting because that's kind of where we are as a country, yeah. like we st- like I a, a, a take that I like to slang occasionally is that like January six is an ongoing event and mm. we don't know mm. how it is going to resolve and I think that the show is like really landing that message. Mm, that'll help me sleep tonight. Yeah. <laughs> good hard take. Good hard yeah. take. Good hard. It's a good hard take, Max. It's a good hard take you gave. Um, here's a, it's something I'm I'm legitimately interested in. So you know the Republicans have been the uh, the party of. Uh, business since the late 19th century with the spread of banks and the spread of capitalism. And uh, it was, 
you know, I think you could argue Bill Clinton embracing capitalism, the creation of neoliberalism after the collapse of the Soviet Union. People realize, oh, this is let's get on board the train and say that we love it. Uh, that has it feels like we've parted with that. Uh, certainly the left electorate hates capitalism now and they're all uh, they love Marx and they love. <laughs> Mao and it's ridiculous what's going on. But how do you how do you uh, how do you expect to win without allying with capital? I mean, I, I think that is this a question about the show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, yes. it's a great question. But that's why I think that's why I think like Mencken right yeah. is like yeah. so yeah. malleable when 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 Shiv and Matson right. are right. like he's playing maybe yeah. maybe don't block the deal right yeah yeah right right you and know he's maybe, with and the then big he, Swedish tech he, company. like yeah. fascists don't really care like capitalism yeah. or not yeah. they yeah. just they want to just con they want to control they want control right but they I mean that's, the, that's the whole DeSantis thing right is right. he's, he's going right. after the big corporations because they think that's going to be useful foil for him and now Disney is the hero of the resistance yeah. which is a little bit of a weird position to be in it's all it's all in the service of power so i think that's how they that's true yeah know. that does actually align pretty well yeah okay uh, so the answer to your question is nothing yes. matters it's all power and money nihilism <laughs> yeah. nihilism, nihilism, it's, like nihilism. It's, all, it's all money and gossip are you happy you had us on <laughs> uh i'm happy in the sense that uh, you know i understand now that um there's nothing to fear from you guys we've got it uh the market moves side is on the right side of history money ascendant uh, Jared Mick in 2024. Uh, we're going all the way. We love it. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. And good luck thank on you. good luck on your on your side of things. Yeah, thank good you, luck. Uh, thank you for having us. Good luck. Good luck out there on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we fly only helicopters now. We don't. Oh, yeah, helicopters. Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Private, yeah. private. Yeah. Helicopters. Okay, we'll see you in the skies. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Up next, Yellow Jackets. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. We are stepping out of the airlocks and in to the still mysterious, where is it? We don't know, wilderness of Yellow Jackets. We don't, we don't know. Just some snowy place. Uh, Yellow Jackets season two, episode eight, with the perfect name, It Chooses, directed by Daisy Von Schurler Mayer and written by Sarah L. Thompson and Liz Fang. Oof. We begin. After Shauna's physical therapy session that ended last week's episode, a.k.a. 
when she beat the shit out of Lottie. Because, you know, yes. she was upset that her baby died. So understandable. But uh, probably not a great idea. Beaten and bruised. Lottie is, she's pissing blood. She's being cared for by an ever useful Misty. But also, do you really want Misty to be the one caring for you? Uh, Mari, who is one of Lottie's number one followers, is kind of putting on a sassy front, complaining a lot. But secretly, she's absolutely devastated. But adding more fuel to our fire about the potential parallel timelines, Lottie, whose face is just absolutely decimated and she is she's struggling, she seems to be having visions from both the past and the future. She sees future Lottie. Bum, 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 bum. She sees future Lottie holding the Queen of Hearts card. She sees these flashes. And just before those iconic credits begin to roll, we actually get one of the most brutal and grim reveals of this season, which is that Akila's little mouse friend, one of the few bright spots of the show, her little bud, been keeping her going. Ty leans over to Akila and says, who, who are you talking to? She's like, go away. RIP to that mouse because the mouse is dead and maybe has always been dead because it's mummified. R.I.P. R.I.P. to that mouse. It's looking not no. good. It, it, mouse jerky? Maybe? But no, not not good. And Akila's pretty upset. That is one of the most shocking reveals yet in Yellow Jackets. The cute mouse was always dead, maybe. At Camp Greenpine, adult Shauna is not having really much of a better time than teen Shauna as she tells the others that the police have found the dismembered body of Adam Martin Guess somebody didn't listen to Misty's instructions. Or else they wouldn't have been able. Dun, dun, dun. Maybe then they wouldn't have been able to identify him. But, you know, whatever. Misty, Ty and Nat tried to convince. Well, I mean, they do. I, I will say, <laughs> I will say. They did a pretty thorough job. Oh, as we see, that is a good point. And also, they identified him through a means that they would not have been able to know about. So you you make a good point. I defend... They did follow Misty's rules. They did a horrific job, as we will learn later. And Misty, <laughs> disgusting. disgusting. And Misty, Ty, and Nat tried to convince Shauna, like, don't go back and see Callie and Jeff. You need to stay here. We need to talk about this. You made us an accomplice in a murder. Remember that. And Van is like, fuck all of you. What's going on? Throws Shauna's keys into the forest and says, we are not going anywhere until we have a little bit of a group therapy. So off to the sharing shack they go. Time to do some sharing. But before we get there, the camera is getting blurry in Yellow Jackets. Don't worry, not your eyes. It's just a cool cinematography effect to let you know everyone is starving. It's getting to that time now. Everybody's feeling wobbly. Ty is seeing nighttime Ty in the daytime. Van is sneaking around looking suspicious and offering up belts to be stewed into soups because they are that hungry. It worked for Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) Or shoes, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, you know, you're going to eat a stew made of leather? Maybe you are. They're getting really hungry, and they're in the wilderness. Can you see where this is going? I wonder. Re- cannibalism, remember yeah. it? Tensions are rising, and everybody's kind of already plotting on eating Lottie's still warm and absolutely not dead yet body. Nat starts to wonder whether Lottie's death could be a good thing. Which makes sense, seeing as everyone is turning to Lottie's yeah. supernatural side, even young Harvey. Young, logical Harvey. He's even been praying to a specific symbol tree. 
which Natalie finds worrying. When she shares that with Coach Ben, her only logical friend left, the newly awakened and no longer disassociating into history, Coach Ben, takes a different lesson. <laughs> this is not, not something good for the group. I mean, like Lottie dying, uh, who cares? What was that about a tree? Have he's been visiting a strange tree and bowing to it? Could that be where he hid for all those months? And then, I mean, it's just a, it's just a, 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 a simple straight line take. Hey, where's, where's the, tree? the tree? Maybe you could hide inside. Maybe of we, it. maybe I could hide in a tree so you guys don't eat me. Maybe that's a pretty <laughs> good idea. Honestly, I understand. And once again, in epic Coach Ben timing, remember he avoided Jackie's cannibalistic feast it's a good time because the girls are losing it mari is seeing blood seeping from the walls ty can hear the dripping it's it's all going horribly wrong and speaking of horrific visions yellow jackets is a really great show we love it for many reasons but it is at its heart a horror show i will say season two has kind of felt like it's veering away from that a little bit because of the supernatural elements the survivalist elements but we get such a horrible scene here after Jeff, poor, lovely Jeff. He suffers from a, a true night terror that is instigated by Kevin Tan and our worst enemy on the show, M. Saracusa, the worst cop in the whole of Yellow Jackets. They show up and they're like, hey, th- this is like <laughs> a really normal thing that cops do actually do, which is... I'm just going to show you some horrible images of a, of a decapitated and uh, chopped up dead body. How do you feel about that? Would you like yeah. to see it? This is where a, a very sharp knife cut through somebody's limbs. Enjoying that image? Ugh. Looks delightful. Yeah. It is very horrible. And I will say, as we, the audience, know that Shauna did cut that body up, it adds a little bit more context to the choice that the women made when they decided they were going to get rid of the body. It is very grotesque. But you know what? These cops don't know Jeff is an accomplice. They could just be showing this to an innocent man. They don't know nothing. Jeff is understandably very upset. And later, he is at home, and Shauna arrives back from Camp Green Pine, and he's so happy to see her. And as usual, it's Shauna, so she's incredibly horny, and they're making out. Dun, dun, dun. She has electric turkey carvers for hands. You know she's horny because it's the worst possible time to be horny. Like, why are you horny right now, Shauna? Please. Like, not only, like, the police have found your lover's dead body. Don't be coming home and kissing me up. And then don't be chopping me with your turkey carver hands that you have apparently replaced your real hands with because your life is so boring that you need some excitement by adding turkey carvers to your stump arms. It was truly horrific. Surprising no one, it was also a dream. But Jeff probably having some issues, I feel like at this point, accepting. Okay, do you think, how likely do you think it is, as we head into the final episode of this season, that Jeff is going to turn on Shauna and shop her to the cops to protect him and Callie. I don't think that he ever gets there unless something else, something else like, uh, you know, a... uh, 
a friend of a friend dropping a clue to the police mm. department adds some extra pressure. I don't think he'll ever turn on her without something outside acting on their relationship. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's I think he's scared, but I don't think he's that scared. I think he does truly love Shauna in a in a very all-encompassing way that's quite defined by loyalty. In Lottie's sharing shack, talking about loyalty, the truth is coming out. Shauna reveals Jeff knows about the crew killing Adam. And when Ty, classic Ty here, just saying, tries to act like high and mighty. This is a lot to reveal. (laughs) This is like one of the funniest scenes, because if you were doing like a speed recap, you wouldn't believe that all of this happens in like one sequence. So Ty does a classic situation. She's high and mighty. Oh my God, Shauna, how could you do that? How could you reveal our secrets to your loving husband? And Misty's like, hmm, remember when you revealed all of our secrets to a PI called Jessica who came and offered us hundreds of thousands of dollars to write a book about being in Yellow Jackets just to test whether you could trust us or not? And everyone's understandably pissed. And Van, as the kind of outsider, makes a really good point. She says, well, how do you know this is a safe situation? And Shauna's like, yeah, what if she goes rogue, you know? And Misty says, don't worry, I murdered her. I took care of it. And the best thing is, like, nobody's yeah. surprised. <laughs> no, Nobody even blinks at this. <sighs> well, there's been so much crazy information already revealed in the, share, in the sharing shack, like, in the two minutes yeah. before this, that, like, that Misty killed another person is definitely not a yeah, shock. Yeah, and as Misty says, you know, you're welcome. Because guess what? I took care of it. Yeah, thank as you. As useful. And then Shauna's like, well, this is crazy because you now, you know, not only that, but the FBI has been going around to Randy asking questions about, you know, Natalie. And Natalie's like, well, Misty's like, nah, nah, don't worry. That was actually me and my boyfriend. We we were the ones, we pretended to be the FBI (laughs) so we could find Natalie, you know, as you do. And then Misty's like, wait a minute. He was actually very upset and worried about something. And he mentioned your husband, Shauna. He mentioned Jeff. So what could that be about? And it finally comes out that Jeff and not Adam was the blackmailer. Unbelievable reveals. And and honestly, a good reason for not telling them because she was afraid that, you know, that they might murder him. Yeah, and and they're like, how could you say that? And Van's like, "Uh, Misty did literally murder someone she thought was the blackmailer. And then, you know... Yeah. It's it's quite the time in the sharing shack. I mean, who could who could know that so many truths were about to come out? Back in the 90s, you know, Teen Misty is on Coach Ben's suicide watch, but she doesn't need to worry because he's not sharpening the machete to do any harm to himself. Just to adapt his crutches yeah. for the snowy weather so he can make an escape into the wilderness, which obviously keeps secret from his stalker Misty. While the group begins to hallucinate from hunger... Nat is being quite kind, as always, and she makes some gloves for Harvey, which leads to this sweet moment where Travis makes peace with her and says, I'm sorry for ever making you think that you weren't a good person. Like, I really, I take that back. And you are a good person, and you'll definitely never do anything in this episode to make me feel like that will change, because you are a good person. While Lottie wastes away with a fever in the attic, it's not looking good for her, she tells Misty that the girls have to eat her. If she dies, she's like, look, if I die, don't waste it. I didn't die for nothing, guys. Can I, can I ask an important question? Does she even need to say no. this? 
they're starving out they here. would do it they're they're like get, they would do it in a heartbeat Lottie's like trying she's like I'm just going to assuage them of any guilt. Like, they don't need to have a question. I'm telling them. That's, you know, some people want to be cremated. Some people want to be buried. Some people want to be buried at sea. I want to be eaten by my friends in the wilderness. So she just lets them know. And that will go on to inspire a very fateful conversation within the group. But first, an interesting thing that we learn about Walter here. He is apparently a multimillionaire. That wasn't a weird lie. That it seemed like it probably was. And he lives in a very impressive, beautiful house with full floor-to-ceiling windows. And what's he up to? He's just doing a puzzle, drinking Baileys. On the internet, as one as, as one, one does. does. Listening to Not While I'm Around from Sweeney Todd, the lyrics of which say, demons are prowling everywhere. Plays through his, you know, his Bose speakers, I assume. Some very Bang & Olufsen expensive yeah. speaker system. And when he sees that Adam Martin's body has been found on his beloved Reddit true crime boards, he sends a message to the local police force saying he has information about the murder. So, big question. Is he snitching on Misty or, as the lyrics play when he sends the email, no one's going to hurt you while I'm around, is he planning to cover up for Misty? What do you think? I th- I think it's some version of cover up that may include incriminating people around mm. Misty. But I think he is trying to throw the police in a different direction. And I think that he's then going to go to Misty and say, hey, look what I did for yeah. you. I I agree with you. I think that is the case. I also think there's a very interesting duality with Walter where I still have this theory that potentially he could be connected to Crystal in some way and maybe what he wants is to get the police off Misty's case so that he can kind of deal with her and get his vengeance. But I also just like the idea that they're just like two sociopaths who are going to fall in love. Hannibal is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I love murder boyfriends, murder girlfriends, murder any kind of gender partners. So I I, I like the idea that him and Misty could just become like weird murder vigilante boyfriend and girlfriend. So I'm on your side. I do believe that he is trying to put them off her scent. And interestingly enough, as he leaves his house, he grabs a purple coat. So this offers another question. Is he already part of Lottie's crew? Probably not. Or is he headed to Camp Greenpine and trying to blend in with those followers? I think that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to go there and he's going to, he might believe that she is imprisoned mm-hmm. there or whatever the case may be, but he's going to sneak in. Yeah. I 100% believe that. So speaking of sweet people doing things to protect the ones they love, Jeff has had his terrible night terror. He's seen Shauna with scary meat cleaver hands. I mean, turkey carver hands. Let's be specific about the weaponry. And he shares some home truths with Callie, who's up drinking a beer, scandalous. You know, she's only 18. And she's in high school, school, guys. She's drinking a beer, trying to get to go to sleep. And Jeff tells her... Flirting with adult cops. Every time. (laughs) And he shares Shauna's most terrible loss from the wilderness with his daughter that he knows about, we learn here, maybe because he read the journals or maybe because Shauna told him. He knows that Shauna lost a baby. And Callie is deeply moved by the reveal. It's clear that this is also very tied to why Jeff is so loyal. 
is his loyalty waning? We kind of touched on this. He seems to at least, I feel like, be considering what Kevin was saying. Kevin Tan, you know, the cop who slept with Natalie, by the way, also seems problematic, seeing as she's involved in this case. Him and M. Saracusa really doing the most. When they came to the house with the search warrant, didn't find anything, it seems, but, you know, showed Jeff those scary images. He definitely seems to be considering the idea of, oh, I could protect Callie. He says to her, this isn't your burden to bear. But it's unclear. I don't think Callie would go along with that. She has turned from being like one of the most, the worst characters in the season who was always doing crazy, annoying shit and ended up like she really has found this weird anti-hero kind of space for her mom in her life. Speaking of which, I'm going to give you, Jason, a giant we were right because Shauna does a monologue Oh, yes. She does a literal monologue admitting that she is just obsessed with blowing up her life. And she just can't stop making things worse. She can't stop. She can't stop. She wants the chaos. She even says she had the affair with Adam because she wanted to mix things up. And then ever since then, she says, I've been trying to fix it. And then she's like, no, I haven't. I've actually just been trying to make things worse. Everything I do is making things worse. And I was very impressed because you called that shit from the very beginning of this season about that being like Shauna's driving force is this kind of chaotic void that she just constantly wants to blow up her her suburban life. She gets off on the chaos. It's exciting to her. Something about just normal relationships, Mm -hmm. normal living is boring and isolating and 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 entrapping to her and she needs to break free and the only way she can feel that she can do that is by doing crimes <laughs> by doing crimes. adultery by committing murders yeah and then chopping and, people know, up who among us who among us has not yeah. committed a murder when we're just feeling a bit bored who among us has not yeah who among us has not decapitated and uh, the 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 corpse of the person you were having an affair with, so they cannot be identified, then cut off the hands and then cheese grater the I was tattoos say, off. It's just what it's you do. It's very relatable to cheese grater someone's tattoos off. You don't want that to be there. That's a signifying yeah. mark. Come on, Shauna's honesty inspires Natalie to encourage the others to open up. Which, by the way, I still think Natalie is playing some kind of long game here. Just not sure what it is yes. at this point, but. Uh, Sad times to see it because she's really been struggling this season. Lottie takes the reins, goes against what Natalie was saying, which is very interesting because she's kind of been preaching this idea of therapy and talking their problems out. And she's like, no, none of that's going to help. Talking won't help. We are here for a reason. And the reason is the power of the wilderness. And I know what it wants. Cut to the wilderness in the 90s where we're about to learn what Lottie thinks it wants. Lottie has offered her body up for the good of the group. The survivors, in a very interesting and telling conversation, they decide they don't want Lottie to die. And as Travis points out, the only way she can survive is if she eats something. I like that at this point, no one's even trying to find an animal. They're not like, maybe we should go and do like one scope. Maybe, Maybe there's some kind of like, wintry animal who survived maybe we could climb a tree uh do you know go ice ice fishing in in the the lake lake? like yeah there seems like there's many different options but as ty says we have to find a way to save lottie and to save ourselves we need to eat and we're gonna have to do whatever we can 
to survive. So if you remember, the girls have been assigning chores via pulling cards from a deck. This is also very interestingly throughout the season, clearly been something they were rigging because they would always make sure that Crystal and Misty had to go on toilet duty as punishment for Misty, you know, poisoning people. Oh, that little, who amongst us has again not poisoned some people, you know? So it doesn't seem like a great trustworthy option, but in an interesting narrative choice, I think in the Discord, our Discord, there's been a lot of conversation about it. And I think on the internet, there's been a lot of controversy about it. They don't really show them making this choice, which I think is very interesting. So it more just kind of, you are left to add the narrative of how they got there. But it's it's something we've seen them do before. And we get a really good kind of riff on this, you know, in the thing when they're trying to work out who's infected and who's not. And we get this very tense sequence, who's going to get killed? How do you deal with that? It's so good and so atmospheric. And people pull a card and Misty is safe and Travis is safe and Shauna is safe. And honestly, Shauna, you probably should have been the sacrifice. You caused mad problems. It should have been you, babe. babe. Come on. But sadly for people with taste, it is Natalie who pulls the Queen of Heart cards. You hate to see it. I love Natalie. That is why I have my funny shag mullet. She inspired me to do it. I love her. And Natalie is the sacrifice. But we know Natalie still exists in the future as we know it. So this seems like an odd choice. Shauna, of course, is the executor, loves to kill someone, just can't help it, just absolutely adores it. And in a very sick move, she places Jackie's necklace around Natalie's throat which is a little heart necklace. Yeah. We It's very gross. Yeah. We get this duality here. There's this two sides. If you are the sacrifice, you pull the queen of hearts card, you put on this necklace and that kind of designates you as being the sacrifice. We can assume this is a version of what we saw in the very first episode of Yellow Jackets that got everyone so hooked of the, the girls running after a sacrifice. We can assume they pulled the card and they were wearing the necklace and they had to make that choice. Now, because Natalie is a a bad one, she's not taking it at all. Shauna's too much of a coward to look her in the eyes. And Natalie's like, no, look me in the eyes. Do it. You're going to have to look at me while you slit my throat. Give it a try. And Shauna can't do it. Travis, in a choice that he will inevitably come to regret and I'm sure will haunt him for the rest of his life. <laughs> Just horrible shit that they do in this. This this final, like, 15 minutes is so fucking bleak. It's Travis... Causes a commotion, pushes them out of the way, and lets Nat run. And this leads to one of those sequences we've had teased throughout the season in flashes. It's in the credit sequence. It got a lot of people talking. The survivors are chasing Natalie through the forest before we just saw them, you know, ties screaming. And they turn feral. Like, this is a turn of events that I truly I don't feral. know if any like it's like a zombie and movie. I feel like that's what they were trying to establish with this blurry camera angles they wanted to show us how far gone they were because they do not question it they do not for a second have any issue with trying to eat Natalie it's happening it's gonna happen and she is gonna be dinner before we see what happens to Natalie and how she survived which is gonna break your heart we will have to wait and see Because in a very interesting and what I think will be very important narratively turn of events, 
we cut to Camp Greenpine, where Shauna immediately tells Lottie none of that was real. I I am so interested. Like, is this... Is she just continuing the direct conversation where Lottie was talking about the power of the wilderness? Is she talking about that entire vision that we just saw? There is a definite unreliable narrator situation here that I think is incredibly interesting and will likely lead into the next season. But we'll have to wait to see how true or not true it is because bad things are happening. This Lottie has gone full uh, Heaven's Gate as Misty points out, and she wants the women to drink from cups, one of which has been poisoned with phenobarbital. And that person's going to die when they drink it. Would you drink it? What do you think, Jason? You, would you drink from one of these cups? I'm not drinking You're not drinking it. Thank you. I'm also not drinking I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking it. it. I, I, and, and by the way, Lottie... Lottie, why is your every idea, well, one of us should die now? I'm saying I do. I need a better solution to stuff. I think this is a big logical flaw in Lottie's part. So Lottie's argument is, look, in the wilderness, we would sacrifice somebody and then we would all survive because we ate them. But also the wilderness would be happy. If we do that now, then time, maybe your wife won't die in a coma. Shauna, maybe you won't get arrested for this murder. Like, the wilderness can hook us up. Natalie, maybe you won't be such a loser and a drug addict anymore. Fucked up, Lottie. I don't know why. It's, like, not really comparable to, like, everything else everyone's doing. But sure. Misty, you're a murderer. Maybe you'll stop murdering. Maybe not. I'm going to say something. If that's the case, yeah, Travis already died. Why didn't that fix their problems? The wilderness chose Travis. Where's the logic of that? Adult Travis died. He was yeah, murdered in what looked like a hallucinatory kind of strange supernatural. One of the main supernatural glimpses that we've got. I feel like Lottie is struggling. We also now know that her therapist never existed. So she was never getting the medication that she needed for like the last few weeks. This is a very sad turn of events. Absolutely hate to see it. But also... This is like the most fucked up group of friends ever because by the end of Lottie explaining it, like none of <laughs> none of them are like, this sounds really bad. Like everyone's just like, mm. yeah, everybody's like, okay, yeah, like maybe, maybe we right. should just drink the poison Kool Aid. I mean, come on, guys, this is cult leader one hundred and one. I am surprised, honestly, that no, no one has said, hey, what about the other people that died? Like, aren't we good? Right? How many like, times do you have to do it? Like, what is the cost? And like Travis died like yeah, the recently. Rent seems paid, paid to me. Yeah, very recently. You know, like it's and also if that was the case, Lottie, why didn't you let Nat kill herself? Like there's all these different the logic is not there. So I believe that we can see that this is something I think that is more of a struggle in Lottie's head right now than a reality. But, you know, someone is faring a little bit better in the wilderness. It's Coach Ben. He's feeling good. Guess what? He found Harvey's magical symbol tree. Lo and behold, Big We Were Right. I'm calling out by name because this is the first person who I saw posit this theory. My name is Dan, who is one of our Discord users. He had posited the theory that there was an underground tunnel system and that the symbols on the trees basically marked where you could find the tunnels and the entrances to the tunnels. And I would say this is a... a, uh, we were right that there is at least one tunnel and I think is probably positing going towards like a proper we were right next episode. So there is a cave. Ben finds it. 
and it leads to some kind of tunnel system. And not only that, but someone's been living there, eating small animals. How did they find those animals? Maybe these people should be eating them instead of eating humans. Just an idea. But basically, the animal bones are there. This is probably where Harvey survived his time in the wilderness. Maybe let's just throw it out there because yellow jackets. Look, maybe the bones are there for witchcraft. Maybe a witch lives there. It kind of seems to me like there's chickens in them that are woods. I'm saying that looks like chicken bones. Where's the food? There's food out there. Maybe there's food in the tunnels. Maybe there's a little underground farm. Maybe there's some some chickens be living down there, you know, like. I, underground farm is very interesting. I like yeah, I, and I have seen some other really cool theories. I think in our Discord, this one's popped up a lot. The idea that perhaps the person who has been living in there and he, is nighttime Ty, um, who maybe was the one who was protecting Harvey and, and was his friend and, you know, claimed that she didn't want him to go back, which, let's be real, we find out now, very right. Harvey should not have gone back. Yes. Bad times all around because Harvey catches up with Nat on the frozen river. And he tells her, I'm going to take you to my secret hiding place to help you survive this insane hunting party. But, mm-hmm. as it is wont to do, the wilderness chooses. And the night, the ice breaks, and Harvey falls in. At first, because Natalie is a nice human being, I do truly believe that she tries to save him. But as the other girls catch up, Misty kneels down and whispers to her, if you save Harvey, they will eat you. Another life saved by Misty, kind of. Like, not really, but kind of. Because if she didn't, like, Nat would be dead. But sadly, Harvey still dies. And it's really grim because we have to watch him drown. And Nat has to watch him it's drown. Very, very, very sad. And we definitely understand. I feel like that is the choice that Natalie made in her life. She often talks about she didn't deserve to survive. They, she did things she was ashamed of. She wished that she could go back. And that, I think, is that that's that moment where she let somebody die so that she could survive. And it's in a really horrific way. I am back all the way around to this show could now be completely not super. I think so, too. I think there could. I think there I think the results of trauma, starvation, intense emotional tenor, could have, first of all, it did absolutely result in numerous, like, parallel hallucinations mm-hmm. that did and did not intersect with other hallucinations that were going on. And I think that there it is a real chance that all the stuff they think happened only happened pieces, yep. didn't happen all the way. No one has the full picture. That would be explained by and Shauna saying it wasn't order, real, because she doesn't remember it that way. Yeah, and... She doesn't remember it. And in order for them to make sense of it all, they have come up with this framing, the wilderness mm-hmm. chose. Exactly. And we ha- and that's how the episode ends. They don't want to deal with the fact that they let Harvey die after they'd only just gotten him back. So Van declares, you know, the wilderness chose. And that's it. Harvey will be the next meal. Of course, how Travis will feel about that is a... Uh, a whole different situation, but we know that him and Natalie stayed in contact as adults, so I'm sure there's probably a, a story there. Just another absolute bummer fucking ending. <laughs> the last three episodes have really 
They'll just fucking destroy you. So tell me why you think it's possible that this show could be not supernatural. I think that the closer we get, I think there are multiple different things that could, in that situation, seem supernatural, like Lottie's visions, which we know are likely part of her having mental health struggles. Those began this Mm -hmm. kind of journey of the group into believing, I'd say more of a spiral, actually, that there was something supernatural going on. Ty sleepwalking, something else that can absolutely be explained away in a non-supernatural sense. But in that space of being in the wilderness, being disconnected from reality, not eating, it takes on this whole other meaning. You know, there are multiple coincidences, Van and Ty being out and finding Harvey. That doesn't have to be supernatural. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's not a very big space and he was coming out of the tree. You know, things like, we've talked about this before, it's very likely that Lottie or Ty in a sleepwalking mode was the one who put the symbols around. And instead, it's about building a narrative that fits to explain away the things that they had to do. We did say in the episode where they ate Mm -hmm. Jackie, the first cannibalism episode, I felt like the photography was so intentional. It was so supposed to bring us into this mindset that the wilderness baked Jackie properly. It presented her fully cooked. But we don't know if that's really what happened. I really wouldn't be surprised if we saw a different version where Van and Ty went out there and they packed the snow and they cooked her, you know? I think that there's very Mm. interesting, unreliable narrator kind of situations occurring. And I think that Lottie fully committing to this kind of cult leader aspect of herself, which she has not done, like this intentional community. We've made a lot of jokes about how it's a cult. and But it seems like she's been pushing away from that and trying to do something positive for people. And the fact that she now is saying, hey, let's just, one of us just kill ourselves. I think that is a, that's a psychotic break that she is suffering from more than I think, especially, like I said, the illogical nature of, well, why isn't Travis the good enough sacrifice? Didn't didn't yeah. the wilderness choose Adam when Shauna killed him? Like, it's not adding up. And it's really funny because last episode I was like, it's a fairy show. Like, I'm into it. Like, it's fairies. But now I'm... St- yeah, I, I was like, 100%. I was like, I'm into it. It's fairies. It's supernatural. Somebody pointed out True Blood was about fairies. Like, why not? But now I'm actually thinking, especially imagine how horrific it will be if Coach Ben doesn't do what we expect and he doesn't just hide down there himself, right. imagine how terrible it will be if he leads them down there after they've killed Harvey and they find food or they find animals or they find whoever lived in the cabin before. Maybe they'd made that into some kind of stock storage space, you know, as people would do in caverns and caves. Maybe there's dried meats down there and they have to come to the realization that this is a choice they made. I think that could really be a harrowing way to end the season. And harrowing has been one of the big watchwords for this season. So I think the non-supernatural element is, and also very clever way to potentially end the season. Even if, you know, they've, I think they've said this is a five season plan is what they have for it. And who knows when we'll see season three because they're on strike. But it's very interesting to kind of end in quite a final, this isn't supernatural way potentially. And then also then you have season three to blow that up or to go along with it or whatever else. I think it would be very interesting to have a show that is just really ingrained in this idea of how trauma can affect us. 
but we'll have to see next week because next week is succession finale and yellow jackets finale oh. and for those who are watching though we haven't been able to cover it the barry finale so they're really they're coming in strong quite strong and quite it's it's a bummer. It's like a bummer palooza. Folks. We are getting intense at every day. Sunday is like the most fun. It's meant to be very, relaxing, very but we are getting fucking the most intense programming in a long time. Well, up next, Nerd Out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory you're excited to share, Maya pitches us on Guillermo del Toro's mech masterpiece, Pacific Rim. I do believe it's a masterpiece. I absolutely love this movie. I also love the sequel starring John Boyega. Hi, Jason. Hi, Rosie. My name is Maya. Um, I'm a longtime X-Ray Vision listener. I could listen to you guys talk about anything you want all the time, even for like things that I'm not really tuned in for. I'm always there. You guys brighten up my week all the time. So for my nerd out, I want to talk about 2013's Pacific Rim from Guillermo del Toro. Did not realize we were coming up on the 10th anniversary of it, but um, it hit me at a formative time in my life. I was working at a movie theater in between uh, semesters for the summer. We were all excited about this movie about giant robots and giant kaiju. First of all, I love monster making. So like the concept and the visuals of the monsters are ridiculous thing. I love them. The big crab one, the hammerhead one, um, even the little baby one. <laughs> I still want plushes of all of them. Um, I think that also the reason I love this movie so much is the concept of drift compatibility, which I think is one of the coolest sci-fi concepts of the last like 10 years of movie making. I've probably like spent too many dates talking about it, but the fact that you can only pilot these giant robots by sharing the neural load with another person, um, rather it be like familial, um, platonic, romantic, like the fact that you have to have that connection to share the load is really beautiful. I think this movie talks a lot about human connection and having faith in each other um, and how we can achieve things. And as someone who doesn't always see the good in everyone, I think that's why I love this movie so much. Not to mention the fact that the score is by Raman Dijwadi. I hope I pronounced that right. Who also produced the Game of Thrones score, Westworld score. If I ever need to get shit done, I'm playing that a full blast, especially the theme song. Um, a great cast, Jax Teller, a.k.a. Charlie Hunnam, at the height of a Sons of Anarchy phase, Rinko Kinkuchi, um, Ron Perlman, Charlie Day, and then Idris Elba giving the we're canceling the apocalypse speech. Like, what more can you want from your sci-fi movie? I'm not going to mention the sequel, um, even though I was excited to see that John Boyega was in it, but we're not going to mention it. But yeah, I just I want everyone to watch the movie, rewatch the movie. I think it needs so much more love. Thanks. Thanks, Maya. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at xray at crooked.com. Instructions in the show notes. Well, that's it for us, Rosie. Anything to plug? Plug, 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 plug. I'm going to plug a TV show on Amazon Freebie called Primo. You can't really plug it because you're on strike, but it's really good. It's right. uh, it's absolutely delightful. You can watch all the episodes now. It's hilarious. It's funny. Jason absolutely put a Borgullet reference in there for the Star Wars fans. Shay is obviously also like a huge pop culture person. So if that's why you listen to us, you'll love it. But it's really just a great family drama. Mike Sher, you know, the icon behind things like Parks and Rec. So you're really in good hands. Absolutely delightful. The five uncles are miraculous and you will fall in love and you will have a favorite. And it's just a wonderful show, so you should go and watch it. 
catch the next episode on Friday, May 26th. This is the episode of X-Ray Vision. To catch up on some Star Wars, including Star Wars Visions Volume 2 and Jedi Survivor, uh, the game that is uh, wrestling for time uh, in our video game queues against uh, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. The way my life has been torn in two by those two games. Like, I want to play them both (laughs) at the same time, and it is impossible it is just absolutely bonkers, but I'm very excited to talk about it because it, it is, I think, a far, far superior game to the original. I, I'm loving playing it. I yeah, agree. it's great. Subscribe on YouTube to X-Ray Vision where you can watch full episodes of the show like this one. And check out our Discord that we mention a lot because it's full of great people and we hang out in there and there's conversations from Star Wars to Survivor. It's just absolutely great. Five star reviews, five, five, five star five, ratings. Five, five. We love them. We gotta have them. You gotta give them to us. Here is one from D. Ken Deasy. 23-23-23-23. Market move. For a show that has been very Marvel and Star Wars heavy, it's fun when a podcast covers something really different. Market moves is my favorite segment. And I'm sad that it'll end when succession ends in a few weeks. Oh, oh DKN DZ 23, 23, 23, 23. X-Ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin and executive produced by me, Jason Concepcion. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Video production by Delon Villanueva and Rachel Gajewski. Social media by Awa Okalati and Caroline Dunphy. Thank you to Brian Vasquez for our theme music. Thank you very much. See you next time. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.